Collective, welcome to Voices from the Collective, a podcast coming to you from the mouth of the East Coast in upstate New York. I'm your host, Ellie Pell. This episode is one I am super duper excited about, but personally, she's had such a huge impact on the East Coast trail running, just everything over here. And not only to me, she's also the most frequently asked for guest when I pull our Patreon and Instagram audience. So Amy Rusecki joins us uh, this week on the show, and she gives you more than you could have ever dreamed of. We talk about her introduction to running, her first trail and ultra runs, and then the success she's had representing the U.S. on multiple occasions, and so much more. Amy is so smart. She is an engineer after all, and she really cares about her community and doing good work. She's also still one of the people, the only people that I know that is completely off social media. And she continues to maintain this uh, empire in Vermont, um, race directing the Vermont 100 and a couple of other races. Um, She just has so much to tell you guys. And so without further ado, I'll stop talking. Let's just get right into this episode with Amy Rusecki. Amy Rusecki, welcome to the Voices of the Collective Podcast. Uh, how are you doing on this beautiful Saturday? I'm, I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here. So thanks for having me. You know, overwhelmingly, when I've asked our Patreon and our community um, for guests that maybe I hadn't wouldn't thought of uh, to have on the show, overwhelmingly, I've gotten your name a bunch of times. And so I finally feel like this this has been a long time coming for me, probably not for you, but I've had, I've just thought about this very often. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks. Well, that's, that's flattering to know that, I don't know, people want to hear what might fly out of my mouth at any given time. So. Yeah. Is is there any idea, like when I say that, what, like, in your brain, why do you think people want to want it want uh, you to come on a show? Why did you think people would want you to come on the show? I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's. I mean, I. I'm. It's nice to know that, like, when I'm race directing, I know that I interact with a bunch of people, but you sometimes don't get really, like, you don't get to know them in depth, and they don't get to know me in depth. So I don't know if it just comes from a place of, you know people have heard my name or, you know, maybe heard me speak or maybe met me at a finish line, but just want to hear more. I don't know. Or they read your name and are like, how do you say that? Uh, or they yeah, did that could it be a it. bunch of times. <laughs> That's happened to me. <laughs> yeah. You did well with the last name. So congrats. <laughs> Thank you. I've been practicing for a little while. Uh, Cause yesterday I even told Ian about this and I was like, what is something I should ask? Or like, what would I not be thinking of? And of course he didn't have a very good answer, but I made him say, I'm saying the name right. Right. And he's like, yeah, I think so. Just the typical Ian answer, like no idea, but right. you know, <laughs> right. so um, what is a day, a typical day in the life of Amy Rusecki look like? Oh boy. Um, so I, I kind of wear many hats. So right now we're in the fall season, which means, um, I mean, I, I work full time. 
So a typical day would be getting up and getting in my run before work. So the alarm goes off at like 4.30 to five o'clock in the morning. And I get in a run, maybe an hour, hour and a half. And then I work full time as an engineer uh, for public works department. Um, and then when I leave that uh, in the fall, at least kind of every other day, um, I coach a local college running team. Um, so I go down to Hampshire College and I run with the athletes there, which is um, it's it's awesome. It's it's a really great group of kids. Um, and the days that I don't do that, it's often that I'll go home and try to, I don't know, do some do some RDing tasks or um, something like that. Uh, and then it's go to bed early, start again the next day. So. Uh, so where are you running these days? Mostly road, mostly trail. Yeah. What's, what's the mileage looking like? Yeah. I mean, I'm doing mostly trails. Um, I'm fortunate where I live in the, in the pioneer Valley in Western mass, um, just within a half hour radius of my house, there are just so many like nooks and crannies of trails where you can run you can run something that's like super gentle and non-technical, or you can be, you know, running the seven sisters, which is like just gnarly and like eating rocks for breakfast and like just this crazy trail and everything in between. Um, so I'm, I'm fortunate that I don't have to travel very far and I get on trails and all sorts of different trails all the time. So I feel like that's what I play on more often these days. Um, yeah. I mean, mileage right now, I'm not following a strict plan. And so my mileage is just kind of whatever it ends up being, whatever my friends are running, I just kind of say yes. And that, that adds up to something. So do you, in the winter, do you still do a lot of skiing? I do some cross-country skiing. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know if people like know this or whatever. I actually grew up as a cross-country ski racer. And so I was kind of a cross-country ski racer who ran to stay in shape. I never would have identified as a runner um, all the way through college. I was, that was my thing. Um, so I still cross-country ski when we have the snow. Um, we don't often have a ton of great snow where I am. So it's, it's a lot more limited. Um, I also, maybe a decade or so ago, I fell in love with snowshoe running. And so I try and get out and do that as well in the winter. Um, so I try and find ways to like embrace the winter and the cold and the conditions that, you know, they, they kind of make my husband grumble because uh, he doesn't like the winter. <laughs> I, I just find ways to enjoy it. What so. piques your interest about snowshoe running? Because my friend Cole Crosby is like loving yeah. snowshoe running, trying to get us all to do it. And, but I, I heard it best described by my friend, Kurt, who said snowshoe running is probably the least efficient way to get across a surface um it can be fun but also like for people that like to go fast it's probably not for you yeah I mean that all of those things are true right um I mean it's there, I, I feel like there's a lot of things to love about it but I also realize that it's it's polarizing and that there's some people that hate it and that's okay you know to each their own um I love um I mean, first of all, it's like strength running, you know, like you put on snowshoes and then with every step, the snowshoe hits the ground or, you know, hits the snow and like some of the snow is going to pile on top of the snowshoe. And so you're like lifting that much more weight with every single stride. So it's like running with, you know, 10 pound weights on your feet, but it makes you so strong. 
the first winter I did snowshoe running, I remember um, after that winter, I ran Boston Marathon and I'd run it a couple times, but it'd been several years. And I was so strong that like I got to the top of heartbreak and was like, wait, when are the hills starting? What's going on? You know, like I just was so strong that I just kind of powered up those hills and I, I didn't realize how much strength I was gaining. Um, but I think the other thing with snowshoe running is like, I mean, again, so the snow piles on the back of the snowshoe. So as you're running, it's like throwing snowballs at the back of your head and like the, you know, the whole back of your body. And it's, I mean, sometimes you trip and you fall on like a stick that's underneath the snow. And I, I think just like all of these things, it, it just reminds you that like, we're only running, we're doing this for fun. Like you're doing this goofy sport that means that you're, you're throwing snowballs at your own head. Like if, if you don't like it, then maybe you're just like taking running and taking life too seriously. Um, sure. so that's, I guess that's just what I like about it. <laughs> so, um, in your opinion, um, it does make you things like that. And like sustained hiking stuff like that does make you pretty strong. Do you find though, like, um, that it translates to speed or did you just like get to the top of heartbreak and you were like, Oh, that was easy. You know, I think like for me, at least it seems or from what just preliminary, what I've read and then what I've noticed, um, anecdotally, but also in other people is that, um, so there's runners that spend all their time in the mountains, right. And they're always climbing and they are so strong. And so, but not necessarily speedy. So yeah. where's like the crossover point between getting strong and then translating that to speed. Do you think there's something there? I I mean, I think there is. I like, I've always thought of athletes, like there's just kind of like three big qualities that athletes can have or that, you know, ultra runners can have. And some of them, um, there's strength, there's endurance and there's speed. And a lot of athletes have at least one of these in some measure compared to, you know, someone else. And some athletes have two. And I think it's pretty rare that you find somebody that has all three. And so then it's just a matter of like, do you continue to um, train into your strengths? So at least you can be that much better knowing that, you know, the third, the third one that you don't have is going to just kind of get dragged along or do you try and train your weakness or I don't know. Um, but so I think of when I think of like hiking and snowshoeing, it's like, well, that's if you're kind of a strength based athlete or you want to work on like the strength portion of what you're doing that feeds into that portion, but it's not really going to help the speed. Um, although, you know, if you've got better like strength and better endurance, you're going to be able to hold even a lower level speed for a longer amount of time. So like they all kind of are interconnected, but in different ways. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's kind of no, how it I does to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, just in my experience, cause this is just what I know fresh, like training for my first 100 miler was completely like I coach myself and doing it was just like, so different because I'm come from like road marathons where it's like two workouts a week and a long run. And like, it was, I still did that style of stuff during my, um, my hundred mile training, but it was just, the workouts were just like, not, it wasn't like you're tasting metal, you know, it was right. like, you know, you're doing like 30 minutes of sustained effort or something, but it was like, you can do it. And it's not like, 
each workout I knew that I could do. Whereas like sometimes in marathon training, I'm like, oh, 540 pace. I don't know if I can do that today, you know? Uh, and it's just, it's such a different thing. And I think it's, it's cool, but it also, <laughs> I sometimes also feel like a fraud. I don't know if you like have ever experienced this when people are like, oh, but you were like a 240 marathon. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't even know yeah. if I can crack three right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Skills. No, for sure. It's interesting though, because like I find, I think again, it depends on what sort of an athlete you are. Because like for me, doing like the quick, like let's do a bunch of 400 repeats and try and hold like six minute pace or whatever was realistic for me, those I find easier to wrap my head around than like those sustained efforts that you go into saying, oh, I know I can hold this. For me, not getting that break and needing to just kind of be on for this long period of time, that's more intimidating to me. Those are the workouts that like you kind of don't sleep the night before because like they're giving you anxiety. So, you know, it, it's all about the type of athlete you are, you know? Yeah, that's true. Also, like, I feel like coaching myself, like I, I give like, so it'd be like a Saturday workout. That would be like when I would do that. And also like before the 30 minutes of sustained or whatever, I'd have like 30 minutes to an hour of like easy warm up. So if I was like, well, if I don't feel like doing this today, I can do it tomorrow. Like it's one of those right. things. That's like the, one of the beauties of like coaching yourself is like, you don't need to explain to your coach why you didn't do this. You just do it the next day. It doesn't really right. matter. Um, but definitely, I mean, it's not like I just shoot from the hip. I, I do like converse with a lot of people and stuff, but, um, yeah. yeah. Cause like is for say, like, I don't feel super great that day. It's like, well, we'll just put this off, but you're right with those, like ones of intervals, like you can always tell yourself, just try one, just do one. Right. And then you get a break and then try another. And then you get a break. And yeah, I love, yeah. I love that too. And you can like reset after every single one or take a, you know, take a longer recovery after like halfway through to be like, okay, that's the first set done. So you don't even have to think about like all 10 intervals. You think about five and then you know, it's the mind games we play, right? <laughs> oh, oh, it's so fun. My brain is just a warped mess. I tell you, I don't know. Oh, <laughs> there are just sure. like some, yeah, some things that I think about to get myself through like workouts. And then other times it'll be like, oh, this is going to be super hard. And I'm like, wow, I'm done already. That wasn't yeah. so bad. <laughs> nice. So um, you mentioned that you were um, a Nordic a cross-country Nordic skier. Yeah. Um, so I guess like, yeah, talk about your early life in, uh, in athletics. And if it wasn't running, um, what were you doing? Yeah, I mean, I played soccer when I was really young, like every kid does. I, I think that's a law in, you know, the U.S., right? Um, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, I grew up with kind of some of those typical things. But my family... Um, from a young age, my parents, we did a lot of backpacking or hiking, I guess really was what it was. Um, and they actually started me off on orienteering uh, when I was really young as well. So I did orienteering um, kind of my whole life. I, I dabble a little now, but I'm not good and not kind of, I don't know, practiced at it. Uh, but uh, anyway, so we did orienteering and then when my family moved to Massachusetts, everyone that did the orienteering, they did cross-country skiing. They did the local Bill Coke Ski League, which is like the youth skiing program. So once we moved to Massachusetts, I started cross-country skiing. And that's, you know, that was probably my first love was finding a sport that like made sense to me, that I really enjoyed, that like I could constantly be growing and doing better because some of it was like you put in the training and you're going to get better. But there was also this like very technique 
driven aspect of it. And, you know, me being like a, a type A engineer, I could always be like trying to perfect that little bit of my form that I knew was going to make me faster, even if I was no stronger than I was a year ago. Um, and so that, I think that kind of just fulfilled a lot of different things for me. So I did that all the way through college. Um, and, uh, you know, and I ran like once I was in middle school and so there was a running team available, that was like my secondary sport, but, uh, I never would, like, I wouldn't consider myself a runner. It was always to fuel the skiing. Um, although the skiing college was the first time that I actually was on like a school team because my high school and middle school didn't, didn't have cross-country skiing as a sport. So, um, yeah, anyway, it's a little bit yeah, of everything, I mean, yeah, a little bit of orienteering thrown in there. Yeah. And I mean, at least now it's like, you know, uh, you probably feel confident in getting like getting people around the Vermont 100 course and the seven sisters course. You're like, I know where this is. Like, I remember going to this race, like, uh, Ian put on this race called the Highland trail festival or something. And I remember asking, cause I thought this was going to be like a profound moment, like mentor mentee, like, so how, do you know where all the trails are? Like, how do you have time to like mark all this, this course? Cause it was like a crazy, like, I didn't even know what this yeah. course was like, Ian, what were you thinking? He's like, Oh no, I actually never have. And I was like, what? And he, and yeah, he goes on to proceed, like other people have marked the course or whatever. And I was like, you wonder why people get lost here, Ian. Like, it was just the most interesting thing where I was expecting this, like wow. the key to Narnia. And it was right. just not that. <laughs> Yeah, that that that's kind of not how I do it. I'll say that. <laughs> so, like, I I'm fortunate with with the Vermont Hundred. I took over as race director after the 25th year, and actually, Seven Sisters. I also took over after the 25th year. Um, so both of them were established races, and the route is what it is, and I don't have to worry about that. But in the last, I think in 2017 or 18, I started launching other races here in the Western Mass area. And so whenever I did that, it was, you know, I would download all the maps that I could, but I also pick areas where I run a lot. And so I would like kind of keep comparing my the ground truth that I knew with the maps and like the maps that I, you know, that I could download. I started doctoring them up. You know, this trail isn't here anymore. Now this trail is here and kind of got all the distances. So then I had this master map of all the distances. And then I just started playing with how do we connect it all so it makes a of course, it hits the points that I want. We get the mileage that we want. We have access points, you know, all the different things that you do when you're trying to get a good course together. Um, so very different approach to <laughs> how we did it, apparently. Um, but yeah, I come at it from an engineer's perspective, I guess. So yeah, and Ian's more like, well, if you get lost, that's part of it. And I'm like, no, it's really not, Ian. <laughs> no. But the no, first, it is. Um, I ran, so one of the races that I launched is at, um, it's this place called Mount Toby. And it's, I mean, it's where I ran this morning. It's, you know, 10 minutes away from me, a couple miles away from my house. Um, and it's got all these trails in there. And the first year we had a section of trail that somebody unmarked um, on us. And so it was like, luckily it was only like two or three miles into the course. And so like everyone, it was like, I, I'm pretty sure everyone's like Strava afterwards was like flash mob at mile three. I was like, this is really embarrassing. Cause like just the whole field came together and they're like, we don't know where we go. Um, and my husband happened to be running that day and he didn't know the course. Cause I didn't get a chance to run it with him. I just kind of like verbally described it. 
And so at some point, somebody like pulled out their phone. They're like, Brian, you call her. <laughs> like you tell her that we're all lost. Um, and the only fortunate thing was that they happened to be at this really random place where like someone had just stuck a shovel into the ground. And so there was just this like random shovel. And so he's like, I don't know if this helps, but like we're next to a shovel. I, was, I know exactly where you are. Just take a left. You'll see course, Margaret. Like, thank goodness they were at this random shovel that I knew was there that was able to like save the day because otherwise I don't even know what I would have done we would have had to like go out to the woods find everyone and try and get them back on course but um, oh god yeah it's like that's like an rd's nightmare when you get a car like that and you're just like everybody's lost we're all standing in the woods together nobody knows where to go what do we do yeah the only time I want to be an RD is when I get to like high five people at the finish line that's like that's about it everything Ian deals with especially because like we kind of this past spring was just very busy and we kind of had to like like feel a lot of questions and stuff and sometimes I was like I don't think I have the patience for this yeah it's I mean there's a lot of work and then there's a lot of emails and um I mean, a lot of the emails, I try to be nice in emails, but at some point my patience runs really thin when it's like, you're asking a question that is in the email that you're responding to. Like, please see number five below in this email that you're responding to. Or like, hey, maybe you check out the race website because it's all that, you know, it's it's become a joke among a bunch of people that um, people keep asking me what the elevation gain is of Vermont 100. Literally, if you go to the website, vermont100.com, it's like in the banner. It's like 100 miles, 1,700 or 17,000 feet of climbing. You know, one day, do you have what it takes? Like, that's literally the banner. And so when someone asked me that, I'm like, have you not even been to the website of the race that you signed up for? Like, <laughs> it's right there. Um, so I sometimes, like, I try and do my best to hold my patience, but those are sometimes a little challenging. But I'll say, like, then you like at Vermont hundred, then I stand at the finish line and I greet every single runner across the finish line. And it's like, that makes everything else worth it. It makes everything worth it to just not only see, you know, the top runners come across, but you see people who maybe didn't fully believe in their heart of hearts that they could accomplish this thing, or maybe somebody who just ran, you know, a two hour PR or, you know, finish their first hundred or whatever it is. Like you just, you get to be there in those raw emotional moments. And you know, they did all the work, but you know that, you know, a little bit of that is, you know, I helped create this environment that allowed them to accomplish this thing. And it, it makes all of the like frustrating emails worth it. Um, or the, you know, all of the other hoops that you have to jump through with permissions and locals and, you know, everything else that, that sometimes gets uh, a little frustrating. You know, I have to say hats off to your emailing because the correspondence that I've had with you, um, it's you're just very like you're to the point and you're not like you're not too overly flowery you're not using too many exclamation points you're just to the point and it's very good for me to read because I obviously am very exuberant and expressive and stuff and so like trying to convey that on an email it just never really works I just seem like this puppy yeah. that's like pick me pick me pick me whereas like I'm just like okay just just end the email you don't need to say like have a nice day I hope that flowers rain down on you and like just it's really good yeah. to it's good to like have this engineer's perspective of an email just blunt that's just what it is no emotion here we are all right <laughs> that's always one of those things where I'm like do I take that as a compliment maybe yes, I don't you know should. I, I'm yeah. glad that you appreciate it um I grew I mean I grew up with a father my father's also an engineer and so like I literally grew up and like 
he would send me emails. Like I'd be in college, maybe I haven't talked to him in a month or so. And I just get an email and I'd be like, Amy, I have three things to discuss with you. One, and then blah, blah, blah. Two, da, da, da. Like he would just send me a bulleted list and that was it. Like very to the point. So um, let's normalize I, I used to make fun of him and like, look at me now, you know, <laughs> like I copy exactly the way my dad was. It's like, let's normalize that. Like emails, it's just like, it's okay to just be like this, 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 and this. If you really want to get to know someone personality wise, call them. Like, well, <laughs> so let's talk about your early life as a runner. So, um, uh, like when did you like start running, I guess? That when it wasn't for your sport. Um, when it wasn't my sport. Yeah. Like, um, like, I mean, not, no, like, not like, cause I knew you ran as a skier, but like, when did you yeah. sort of be like try trail running and then your first ultra? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I felt like once, so, you know, we kind of talked about like through high school and college. Right. And once I graduated college, like just kind of not having the team environment to keep me up where I was in cross-country skiing. And and I accomplished a lot in cross-country skiing um, through through college and everything. So um, I, I feel like I, it just was easier to stay active with running. So I feel like when I switched from a skier to a runner, um, I was in grad school at the time. So also just didn't have a lot of time, didn't have a lot of money to pay for tickets to go anywhere, um, like uh, ski passes and stuff. And so that's more when I became a runner. And, um, I, I feel like then it was like anybody who ran in college, it was like, Oh, well, are, are, have you run a marathon? Have you run Boston marathon? And so that's what I did, you know, like I ran marathons for several years and I ran Boston and, you know, did all that. But I also like, I didn't, I wasn't loving it. You know, I was doing it, but I wasn't like, it wasn't quite the right fit. Um, and I ran myself into like a stress fracture because you're just running roads all the time. You're trying to get in speed, you're trying to fit it all in. Um, and so I think it was 2007 um, when I first ran trails um, and partly like it was almost this aha moment that seems really stupid in hindsight. Like I didn't realize that like trail running was a thing, which seems silly because like there were trails back at home that I would run all the time for training. I just didn't realize that anybody else ran them or that there were races on them, which it, it sounds so stupid to say it out loud, but I just didn't know. Um, so I just kind of didn't realize there was this avenue. Um, but I, I have an older sister and she lives like five hours away from me. And we have over the years, sometimes we just say, let's try and do this thing that we've never done together. And so like, you know, we did our first marathon together. I mean, running at our own pace, but we both picked the same marathon and ran it. And then like a couple of years after that, we did like a ski marathon together and um, we did a half Ironman together. Um, but ultimately that like trail running, that was, that was part of it is that she picked out our um, trail running. She picked out a trail marathon that she wanted to do. So she was like, why don't we do this as like our thing? Um, and so like, that's kind of what got me into it like at least the trail running portion of it. Um, and then ultra running came a couple, maybe a year or two after that. Um, and it, it was like a couple things. It was like, first of all, when I did that trail race, you know, I went to EMS. This is all embarrassing stuff, by the way. I went to EMS to buy trail shoes because that's that's where I knew to go. I eat um, mountain sports. That's what Eastern mountain sports. Right? I mean, come on. Why wouldn't <laughs> it you was, It was a local place. So I went to EMS to get trail shoes and with the purchase of a pair of trail shoes, you got a free copy of ultra marathon man by Dean Carnassies. 
And so I read the book and of course you read the book and at least my reaction to it is like, you read the book and you're just like, I'm such a slacker. I only run marathons, you know, like maybe I can do more. I don't know, you know? Um, and so as much as like hit the stories that he told terrified me. And I thought like, I want to try more, but I might die. Um, if this super fit guy is having, you know, all these things happen to him. Um, so it was one of those things where it's like, I read the book and kind of squirreled it away. Like, ah, oh, that's something that I probably want to do, you know, but it's back there with like, I want to do an Iron Man at some point. It hasn't happened yet, but it's, it's back there. These, you know, kind of lifelong bucket list goals. Um, and you flash forward maybe six months after that. And I was doing this, um, this uh, relay race. They're now kind of, I think it's now called a Ragnar relay, but back in that day, it was called a reach the beach relay. Um, and so it was from New Hampshire, it's 200 miles. And typically you have 12 people, but you know, me and my friends decided like our first year, a bunch of people got sick. And so we ended up with nine people. And so at some point we're like, well, if we're gonna have fewer people anyway, we might as well just be in the ultra category. Again, didn't know what ultra meant. Like in my mind, it was just like, oh, you just run a little more. Um, so, you know, a second year doing the ultra category, one of our runners got sick. I needed someone to fill in. And so there's this guy who had just started at my work. Didn't know anything about him, except he joined us for lunch, long runs and like that sort of thing. And he had like a San Francisco marathon hat. So I was like, he's a marathoner. He's going to be great. So rather than being the creepy person that was just like, hey, do you want to spend two days in a van with me and my friends? Um, instead, I was like, oh, have you heard of this book, Ultra Marathon Man? You should read it. And I loan him the book. He reads it. And then it's like, I feel like a slacker. I want to do more. And I was like, great. I have the perfect opportunity for you to do more. I've got this Ragnar relay and we need a runner. And so I broke him into that. And I kind of thought that would be the end of it. And then like a month later, like after he was walking again, because it turns out he wasn't actually like as fit at the time, but he jumped in anyway. Like a month later, he was like, he was like, I heard of this race. It's called the Vermont 50. And all of a sudden it was like the gauntlet was thrown down where it was just like, it, it kind of became like, like a dare between the two of us. Like, we're going to do this thing. We're actually going to do this thing that you've had in the back of your mind. So that's what got me into ultra running. It's kind of a long story, but it's, I mean, like, I'm not someone who grew up reading about it. I'm before the era when like, it was in like runner's world magazine and that sort of thing. Like ultra was just, when I did it, it was this thing that nobody talked about and you could barely hear about it and that sort of thing. So that's yeah. how these things happen. You know, say what you want about Dean Carnassus, but he was a lot of people's entry. I remember reading yeah. like 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 days. Like I remember where I was. I remember thinking like, this man is crazy. Why would you want to roll up a pizza and eat it while you're running? Like, and that actually nutrition, like learning how to eat while I was running is still like my, like, I just don't like this. I'd rather be sitting at a table, but, um, you know, like it's definitely, uh, you, especially for me too. Like it was, I played volleyball and basketball. So okay. running was like, you just sort of did it like, uh, to get in it was shape the punishment of your sport, right? Punishment, <laughs> Yeah. Or to get in shape, which is odd. Like why would a two mile run help in volleyball at all? Like it won't, but, um, whatever, it's just what we did. And, uh, yeah. and then you read something like this and you're like, no way people actually do that. And then like, I still didn't run an ultra for like 10 more years, but it was like in the background, like I knew that was possible, um, right. for Dean. I, but I think then I also like, it took me a while because then I think I saw like, um, 
video segment on him that was like, this man is like a superhuman and like doesn't buffer lactic acid. And so I was like, oh, okay. He's just like a superhuman. But then right. I realized like, no, that was just exaggerated. Like people actually do do this. Um, And so after the first ultra that you did, like, was that just kind of, you really like the springboard, the floodgates opened? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like any of us that are like athletes in general, you, you're, you're, you kind of have that gene of like, if you found the right thing, you finish and like immediately across the finish line and, oh my gosh, check the box, never doing that again. Woohoo. I'm done. And then like a day later you start thinking, you know, like you start searching for the next race and like, oh, I could have done faster if only this, or I could have done better if only that, or next year, when I come back, I'm going to do this other thing. I'm going to take an hour off my time, whatever. It was like, just from there, I started, um, you know, seeking out other, seeking out other ultras and doing all of them. And, and at least for the first couple of years, my friend, uh, his name's Nick Tooker. Um, like he was the guy who we both did Vermont 50 together. And so for the first couple of years, he and I did all of our ultras together and up through like Vermont 100, which was our first hundred miler, um, in 2009, I think so. And your um, husband, Brian, is quite prolific as well. Did you meet him at this time or was that later? I met him a couple years later, like as I was training up for my first hundred miler. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he'd been in the ultra and in the, you know, the same trail space as well. So, um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So at, at Vermont 50, um, uh, I'm, I, I have like a, a second question after this, based on your answer. Did you, how did you do? Like, were you in the top or were you just finishing? I, I mean, I think I was like very proudly mid pack. Um, okay. I think I finished in like 10 and a half hours or something, you know, like a solid mid pack finish. Yeah. Still good. But like, I mean, you didn't win. Um, no. No. so cause I asked that because like you, you know, you're like all oh, the floodgates opened and you just sign up for the next one. And I, always wonder like I mean I love what, what I do now like I'm so glad like I kept with it but I I mean my first one was like a rail trail easy 50k and I did well and I wonder if it's it was like I wonder if I had like be, be been DFL or like back in the pack I wonder if I would have kept doing it or if it was like the thrill of like wow I'm good at this yeah no and I'll tell you like I mean so I'm I'm 43 right now so I'm I'm a different runner than I was when I started. And even, you know, in my thirties, when I actually had a lot of success, um, you know, so I started, I, I did that first ultra in, I think it was 2007. Um, I did my first hundred miler in 2009, in 2009, as I was training up for my hundred miler, like a lot of things kind of happened that year and I got really fast and really good. And all of a sudden I found myself like winning races and being on the podium and that sort of thing. So it was in a relatively short amount of time. Um, and now I'm finding myself on the other side of that, where it's like, my results aren't going up instead. Now I'm falling further back in the results. And it's kind of something that I've had to kind of wrangle with in the last couple of years to separate, like, did I only like this because I was successful or do I actually really like this? And it wasn't at all about the success or kind of what's the interplay between the two of them. Um, and so it's, you know, and then how do I mentally I guess, separate who I was and these things that I accomplished 
with, you know, where I'm at now and still find a place to be proud of myself and not judgmental of myself. Um, so that that's the sort of thing that I feel like in the last several years, it's been like this constant struggle. And some days I'm really just stoked to be out there and to enjoy the trails and, you know, whatever. And then there's other days where it's like, you know, how come I didn't try harder? How come I had ice cream every night with dinner? And so I'm five pounds heavier and like, that's not helping anything. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, it's kind of this cyclical thing that, um, I don't know, like, I don't know if other people who have maybe been in, in, you know, been a little more successful than at some point have this same, like, do I really like this outside of the results or, you know, and can I be in a place where I enjoy it and aren't judgmental of myself? Um, I, I don't know if other people struggle with that or not, but that's, you know, that's a very real struggle for me right now. Um, yeah, it's interesting because you're dealing with this in real time. And I think that um, the tendency towards the attention seeking culture that we live in today is like, I need this dramatic exit, like need to win my last race and then retire. And it's like, well, or you could just sort of like let nature take its course, still try hard, but like also you're, I mean, start to sort of like pull your identity from being whatever runner you think you are and just accept that that's going to change naturally as your body yeah. changes. Yeah. And I'll say like, it's also like, again, part of this or part of what kind of plays into this whole thing is I, it's, I don't want to say other people's expectations because I don't think that other people's, you know, friendship with me or anything like that has anything to do with results. But at times people being supportive, but they make comments that make me feel like there's expectations. And I'll say an example of that was like at the starting line of Twisted Branch, you know, someone like I was talking to someone and they were like, you know, hey, like, you know, what, how, how do you think you're going to do? Or like, you know, kind of what's your plan? And I was like, dude, like I'm a solid mid-pack finisher right now. And like, that's what we're going to do. We're going to get this done and we're going to be somewhere in the mid-pack. And they were like, oh yeah, yeah, right, Amy. You know? And like, I have to remind myself that that comes from a place of, I had so many strong results for so many years that I've earned the respect of people believing that I could do this thing. But at times it feels like people still expect that and that they're going to be like, what happened? Like, I have to have an excuse for now finishing closer to the mid pack than the front of the pack, you know, like, and again, it's all in my head, but it's just as I'm wrangling with these things myself, these outside influence seems to confirm this thing that I'm struggling with anyway. So. I really resonate with that because before my first hundred, like, I was nervous about things, but I was also confident in my fitness, but the worst thing or the most annoying thing that I felt like I had to deal with, which I mean, this is privilege, but whatever, it's my truth, um, is that people were like, oh, don't worry, you'll finish. And I'm like, oh, how do you know that? Like, not even saying that, like, sure, I have had some success at shorter distances. I'm in good health and good fitness. But like, also I could fall off the side of the cliff. I can get attacked by a bear. I, there are all these things that like are real and that, I mean, should be like valid too. 
and ha- I feel like having people like they were trying to be like supportive and confidence in me. And that was lovely. But also sometimes I was like, you don't know that. And right. this is just, I just need to like voice these fears here and just right. like, and so I completely understand like people are trying to be really nice about things, right. especially like if you've come to terms finally with like you being a mid packer or you not winning and then somebody be like, oh, well, you know, you're just so good that it, you know, it, it sort of is like, thank you. But also like, I have fears too. I'm a human. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Exactly. It's, uh, I mean, like my, my husband, you know, he obviously, he was, he had even more success than I did. And he, I think like right after he turned 40, I think just the intensity of the training that he needed to be at that high level was was wearing on him. And, you know, he, he, I don't know, he got into biking a ton. So he's been doing a lot more biking. Um, and for a couple of years, he actually like, I think he was really grateful for COVID because it meant that he didn't have to be at racing. And it meant that it also gave him a separation from who he was to who he is now. But even like last year when races were happening, there were some races that it was like, he didn't want to be there and he didn't show up. Like it's stuff like Vermont 50 where um, he's won it several times um, and I'm the volunteer coordinator. So normally if he's not going to run, he's at least going to show up and he's going to like volunteer for me to support what I'm doing there. And he didn't come last year. And I get it because everyone was asking me questions the whole time. Oh, where's Brian? Oh, is he injured? You know, like there wasn't, it, there wasn't this allowance of like, no, he just, he didn't feel like running this year and that's okay. You know, just cause he's done it every year for the past 12 years doesn't mean, you know, that he's going to want to keep doing that, you know? Um, or like he came, he came to this year's Vermont hundred as well. And, you know, again, there's a race that he, like, he owns the men's course record. I'm going to, you know, little brag about my husband. He owns the men's course record because he's a rock star. Um, he's also won it several times, obviously. And I remember like several months before the race, he was like, Amy, I don't think I want to run this year. And I was like, that's fine. Like, I, I don't, I don't care, you know, like you do what you want to do. Um, and we were talking about it because obviously he wants to be there and he wants to, um, you know, support me, uh, race directing, but he, he just didn't want to be in a place to race. And so like, fortunately I had some friends of mine who were visually impaired who were running. And so I was like, how do you feel about guide running? So you can still go out you can still run 50 miles, but it's not about your race. It's about you supporting someone else having an awesome day out there. And ultimately that was the fit that we found. But I think also then everyone that was running near him throughout the day, like he still, um, I didn't hear this from him. I heard this from, you know, my friend that he ran with, like the whole time people were like, oh, Brian, why aren't you running? You know, oh, are you injured? Oh, are you, you know, whatever. Like he had to keep making excuses. The the answer couldn't just be, no, I'm here supporting Ben, you know? <laughs> Um, it's hard. I guess maybe that's also some privilege that we have. That's just something we deal with, you know? Um, I, I completely understand. Cause like, also, um, I can imagine like Brian goes to the race and even like just cheering at the finish line. I don't know this has probably happened to you and him. People will finish a race that maybe you have won and you're just there like supporting volunteering. And they're like, Oh, well, if you had run this, you would have beat me. And it's like, can we just like, First, congratulate right. you for like ever and just forget about me. Like right. this is your race. Right. Brian, it's funny. The first year that I RD'd, Brian was out there and he ran um, the 100 miler and he finished second. Um, and 
to support me again, like I stay all night long and I, you know, cheer on every single finisher across the finish line. And so he was sitting there keeping me company for a while and every single person they would finish and they would be like, Oh, Brian, how'd you do? Did you win? And it put him in this position of all night long being like, no, I only finished second, only finished second. But because this was the expectation. And again, like I get that they're being super supportive and it comes from a place of like, they respect him so much that they believe it that he's capable of it, but it also made him constantly, like, it wasn't just like, no, I got second, you know, because the expectation was first and anything else, like you have to come up with an excuse for it. So it's just, I, I mean, again, like you said, it, it comes from a place of privilege and I'm, I'm very grateful that I had many years of, you know, some, some pretty, pretty great and pretty lucky at times results. And uh, this is the backside of it. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, what would you say would be the pinnacle of your career? Oh gosh. I don't, I don't know. Like I, I was so fortunate that I had so many amazing experiences that I don't know that I can like put my hand on like any one particular thing. Um, I, you know, I was honored three times to get to wear the USA Jersey um, at world championships, which was really a, an amazing experience. Um, and, you know, kind of the, the lifelong dream, if you're, you know, if you grew up a runner or a skier, you always wanted to represent your country. Um, and I was never going to do that in road running or in cross country skiing, but it was cool to do it for trail running. Um, so that was really cool. I think what part of, I, I had one summer though, like, and it wasn't about like the best results ever, but I did have one summer where um, I I was lucky in the lottery on the second year in Western States. So I got to run Western States. And that same summer, I had enough ITRA points to like have a guaranteed entry into UTMB. And I think for me, that was probably like the coolest summer and just just having the ability, like neither of those races went phenomenal for me, but I finished both of them. And they were both just kind of amazing experiences. And again, for me, it's the difference between only being there to compete and, and being able to just be like, this is an experience that I want to have. And let's, let's take anything else, you know, outside of that. Um, so that, that was maybe the pinnacle of my career was getting to do both of those in one summer and getting to, you know, cross both those storied finish lines and, and all of that. So. What distance were the world championships that you did? Ah, uh, uh, the first one I did, it was 50 miles. Actually, yeah, I think two of them were 50 miles. Two of them were the World Trail Championships. And then one of them was like the long distance mountain running championships. And so that one was a trail marathon with like a giant climb in it. So, um, and what was your training like back then? A lot more running. <laughs> Was it more like, did you do speed workouts, like kind of marathon focused or was it a lot of just like running in the mountains? I, I mean, a combination of everything. I think I kind of took marathon training and bumped it up a little bit. And so, um, I would be doing at least one workout a week that had some sort of speed in it. Um, I would do with the, like, I would either do like a hill workout or even just a really hilly run that ends up kind of being a tempo without meaning to, because the hills are so steep. Um, and then, you know, long run Saturday and Sunday. But I think when I was kind of at the pinnacle, I was at least one or two days a week, I'd be doing a double session. Um, 
So I'd run in the morning and in the afternoon to kind of get that extra mileage as well. So um, kind of no, no big secrets, but um, just, just big mileage, the, I guess. The depth <laughs> and the grind, yeah. Did yeah. you and Brian ever like run and train together? We did when we first met. Um, we trained together uh, like probably a good like six months together when we first met. Um, and, you know, and we had run a couple ultras in that time, but, um, at some point I, you know, I was like, I love you, but if you want to keep like progressing and doing better, you're not going to do that running at my pace. And so I kind of like, let him, let him go to be able to run, um, faster <laughs> if he wanted. And so then from there, it's like, you know, maybe we run together like once a month or, you know. I don't know. We don't run together as often now. Uh, more often than not, if we're running together now, it's because there'll be a day where maybe I'm just feeling really lazy and really bad about myself or that sort of thing. And I'll be like, I'll go for a run with you if you want to, you know, like he uses it to kind of motivate me out the door to to keep me company and, and make it fun. So. Okay. Did yeah. you guys do a lot of the same races? Did you travel and compete together? We did um, really until a couple of years ago, like all of our vacations were centered around some race that we'd be doing. Um, and so, yeah, we would like pick the races and by we, I mean, Brian <laughs> would pick the races he wanted to do. Uh, he kind of had a stronger voice in it, uh, but we would pick the races that we wanted to do and then like travel together, but always like, I mean, if we were going to like a race in Colorado, a race in California, a race in, you know, Chamonix, like we would go out there and spend like a week or two vacationing as well. So, um, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty, it's pretty great to like, I don't know, people, people don't host races in places that aren't beautiful. So no matter where the race was, it was always an excuse to go somewhere really cool, mm -hmm. um, and get to explore. And if at least if it's not cool, you're at least running. So that's a good part. <laughs> Exactly. So, yeah. Um, have you always wanted to be a race director? Not necessarily. <laughs> um, but I love it. <laughs> um, I somewhat, I mean, I, I took on Vermont hundred, um, after the 2014 race and it was after the 2013 race, they had kind of put the word out in the communities that they were in the trail running community and past participants. Um, that they were looking for a race director. Um, and again, like, I, I don't wanna speak ill of other races, but you know, if people were around back then, they know that like, that was right at the time where maybe a year or two before that was the first year that Leadville ended up getting bought out by Lifetime Fitness. And like the first year or two that Lifetime Fitness had the race, there was just, there was just chaos. They let too many people in. They, you know, all the participants trashed the trails. So there was just like, like literally it was like trash on the side of the trail. And it was, uh, it was just, it was not, it didn't leave a good taste in anybody's mouth about what happens if you don't keep running races, like kind of in the family. Um, if somebody is approaching it from a place of just, we want to make money and not from, we want to create this experience and we know what it takes. Um, so anyway, and I will say like, I've done Leadville since then, like they, they do a great job now. It was just a couple of bumpy years, I think, but when Vermont hundred was looking for a race director, it was right after that happened. So I think in my mind, I was like, I'd done at that point, I'd done Vermont hundred five times. It felt like a family reunion, <laughs> um, every time I went there and I didn't necessarily think like, I'll be the best race director. I just thought 
I don't want to like, I want to at least give them a good enough option that they don't go to a corporation. You know, I want to keep it in the family and I want to keep what's special about Vermont special. Um, and so I threw my hat in the ring more out of fear of protecting it from, you know, another experience like that for the trail running community. Um, but they, like, I, I had to go through interview. I literally had to apply. I sent in a resume and I, you know, I got interviewed and everything. Um, and they selected me, uh, as the race director, which, um, which is, which is awesome. But then from there, I found how much I really enjoy race directing. So that was kind of the start of everything else. So, <laughs> yeah. Was it before or after you took it over that, um, it became really affiliated with, um, Vermont Adaptive? Oh, that was, that was way before. Like, if you look at the roots of Vermont hundred it's actually vermont adaptive started first and um vermont hundred was i mean partly it was created because um the endurance riders in the area um like the the horse riders they they saw you know the tevis cup which is the western states it's the the horse ride associated with western states like they saw that having a hundred mile running race and they saw old dominion down in Virginia having a running race. And so they were like, okay, let's try and do this. Um, but the woman who they asked to start it was the woman who like a year or two prior had started Vermont adaptive. And so it's, it's always been very intertwined with Vermont adaptive ski and sports. And what is it like, um, to guide a blind runner? Oh gosh. I mean, in a word, nerve wracking, <laughs> But, um, I mean, it's, I feel like after the first time I ever guided, I had a different, you look at the trails differently when you have to guide for it, because you have to, every single blind runner that I've ever worked with, they all have different needs in how they want you to communicate or how you guide them in general. Uh, but the first person I guided, Kyle Robido, he wanted you to kind of verbally describe everything so he would know, like, basically, so he could, like, paint the picture in his head of, like, what you're seeing. So all of a sudden, I, I'm just, like, obviously, I like to talk, right? So I'm great at that. But I'd have to, like, try and describe everything that I was seeing to tell him, you know, when when he needed to jump over something or, you know, when he needed to be you know, taking careful steps or when we were going up or downhill, um, you end up getting shorthand with them though. Um, so like with him, I might not describe every single rock, but I, you know, we'd say when he needed to have toes up, when he needed to have, you know, which is just kind of like, okay, you might trip on something like that's, that might be when you get a bunch of roots. Um, when you start getting rocks that he could really kind of trip on, then it would be knees up. Um, and every once in a while, if you like have to jump over a culvert or a, you know, a tree on the ground, or even just like a, a drainage dish that goes down and up, you kind of say, okay, we're going to go down and up in three, two, one. And then he knows that that's what he's going to experience. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of, it's a lot of talking through it. And I, I find it very nerve wracking just because I'm, I'm not awesome at it. You know, like I, honestly, like my runner normally averages about one fall per time that I run with them. And that's probably the most painful thing to know that this person now has a bloody knee or has a bruise somewhere because of me. Like when I am have a bloody knee or I have a bruise somewhere because of something I did, at least like it was my fault. But when you're 
inability to guide someone causes someone else to hurt themselves. It's it, it like, it's hard. Right. Um, and I think because of that, I'm just always so nervous because I want to do a good job. I don't want to be the impediment that holds this runner back from achieving what they want to do. So that's kind of what you, you take on when you're guide running. Um, but it's awesome. Like I love being able to use that as a way to just make the trails more accessible to this, this group of people that might, you know, otherwise not be able to get out on the trails. You know, to be fair, if I was your blind runner and I fell, I'd probably be like, oh my God, I fell with Amy Rusecki. Maybe she'll sign my bloody knee. <laughs> I know. Like Kyle, actually, to be fair, like Kyle that I run with a bunch, he he's he's never made me feel like it was my fault. That's totally what I put on myself because um, I want to do a good job for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it, towards the end, like, I mean, everybody's like slogging. So it's harder to have knees up, even if you say it, even if you like right. try to help them put their knee up, it's like, sometimes it just doesn't happen. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about Vermont 100. Um, Cause you, you are the expert. So what, what do I have to do to get the course record next year, Amy? Oh, are you going to come run it? Uh, it's on the table. I would love you to come and run it, Ellie. What do you need to do the course record? Um, you, first of all, weather, I feel like weather plays a big part in oh, the, yeah? race, the middle of July. And so there are some years that just, you could be the fittest person ever to run it. And if it's a hot or super humid year, it doesn't matter that you're the fittest person. So let's just say there's an element of luck with weather that's going to There's so play. much luck. We can, we, we can go off on a tangent right there. I am yeah. always just say like all of my performances, like I basically, it's like I train to be as fit as possible to get lucky. That's really what I say. And it really rubs people the wrong way. Like they, like they, and I get it. Like we work really hard. We do. I'm not saying any, nobody, anybody just comes off the street. I think luck has gotten this bad rep, but it's like, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think you said that perfectly. I love that. I even, I'll, side note, we'll get back to Vermont 100, but like side note on that is like, I don't know if you've had this, but there have been days where it's like, I maybe had a phenomenal race, right? And maybe that's the day that I finish like fourth or fifth or something, right? And then there'll be a day where it's like, I know I ran a shitty day out here. I didn't do anything special. And you happen to get the win and you're almost like, I didn't really deserve it. Like I know that I made some mistakes and this other race was better. I didn't get the win, but I also felt like it all evens out, right? Like if you're a runner who was fit enough that you deserve to get two wins a year or two podiums a year or, you know, whatever, I, I feel like they don't always happen on the day when you have the best performance, but it all, it all evens out. So you just make yourself as fit as possible so that, you know, the results will show it at some point. So. I mean, and if people in our community, ultra running community, like if you don't like that, don't do marathons because you get maybe once, twice a year and maybe you might get lucky once in a career. So it's right. like, we can have a lot more chances here. So right. you, you should be grateful for that luck. Right. I mean, it's, right, it's, to, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, I even found like running running like a marathon, it was almost like in order to have a good day, it was like everything had to go perfectly. Right. And when you're running these ultras, it was like, I could have a good day 
and something could go wrong and you could overcome it because like maybe it was just like having everything go perfectly was just I don't know. I think that was just kind of unrealistic over 30 mile, 30 trail miles or 50 miles or 100 miles. And so I like that there's a little more allowance of like shit's allowed to go sideways and that's okay. Um, and you can still have an awesome day. So. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, anyway, that was a good tangent because I, I like yeah. that we agree on that one. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> watch all the hate so mail comes in. Yeah. So let's let's take, uh, you know, luck aside. Um, the, the thing about Vermont hundred, as opposed to a lot of the other hundreds is like, so you have 17,000 feet of climbing. It's right there in the banner of the Vermont hundred website in case you didn't know. Um, so, but there's no, it's not like, like at, at, you know, Western States, you know, the climbs, you've got these, you know, X number of climbs that you like, you focus on and you have this climb that you're going to do for the next, you know, half hour, hour, two hours. Right. Same thing with lead. Like there's. I don't know, four climbs or whatever. Um, at Vermont, it's just like a thousand climbs, right? Um, so you have to kind of be prepared to, you have to be prepared to like climb a whole bunch, but climb in like little segments. And then the backside of it is these short, steep downhills. Um, so I feel similar to Western states, like you want to kind of pound the quads to be okay with the downhills. Cause a lot of people, that's what gets them like, even several years ago, like Gina, Gina Slabby, I don't know if I'm pronouncing her last name correctly, but she owns the solo record um, at Vermont 100. And she, she was running close, like pretty close to the overall course record. But then like at mile 90 or something like that, she was like, I just can't run downhills anymore. And so she lost a ton of time in the last like 10 miles because her legs just kind of weren't prepared for those downhills. Um, so I feel like that's one of the keys to running well. What's the difference between the solo and the overall? That confused me so much. Ian and I oh. were like, I don't, uh, uh, did Riley get it? I don't know. Like, <laughs> Well, yeah, it's, I mean, solo, solo runners are runners that only rely on aid stations and drop bags. So they don't have a crew and they don't have pacers. Um, this is something that we actually stole from Virginia Happy Trails. They do this at Massanutten. So you have, and I mean, I think even like Ball State, they have the crude and screwed divisions. Um, so it's kind of the same thing where we kind of, we recognize that there are some people that go out there and it's this extra thing to not even have any additional support other than the volunteers that are helping everyone. And so we kind of give them a little, you know, they get a little asterisk. And so we keep separate course records for that. Um, and we give out awards for the top solo runner and that sort of thing. So it's kind of like an age group, like we kind of treat it like an age group award sort of thing, where it's this additional um, thing that someone can get recognized for. Um, so that's I feel like that would benefit me because I told my crew from Western States that I might have been faster in aid stations if I didn't like them because I was really looking forward to seeing them. And <laughs> so I was like, I'll just stay here for longer. But if I don't like them, I'm going to be like, nope, in and out. <laughs> gotcha yeah all right so vermont 100 death by a thousand cuts kind of like the east yes. coast trails we're used to yes exactly exactly all right i'll keep this in, in the back of the mind yeah i i really do want to do that race i'm very into it um you know it's just gonna it's, it's in the plan so uh hopefully that plan comes to fruition but my body likes to do weird things so we'll see fair enough I think it would suit your style too, like knowing that it's 
of the 100 miles, 70 miles of it are dirt roads, and then only 30 miles of it are trail. And even those trails, because we run the running race and the horse ride, endurance ride at the same time, it means that the trails aren't super technical because they're riding trails. And so somebody who has good leg speed, like you do, um, would probably do really well there. Um, you know, similarly, I mean, the course record is held by Cami Semek, who ran it. It's incredible. In the same, what was that? She's incredible. Yeah. And she ran it at that same era where she was like, I think the 100K world champion. So again, like she just brought that incredible leg speed and was trained enough for the hills that they weren't going to slow her down and just crushed it, you know? So when is the Vermont 50? I always think want them to be on the same day. They're not. Like They're, they're not. not. No, guys. it's next weekend. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm a little undertrained. <laughs> Won't drive out for that. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's all good. So that one, I mean, it's funny. So it's a different race director that does the 50. Um, and that one, so they're running the, the hundred mile we have running and endure, you know, horse, horse riding are the two sports there. And then the 50 it's runners and mountain bikers. And so there you get dirt roads, but then when you're on the trails, you're on like single track mountain biking trails. So, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So they don't share as much common terrain as you would think. So. So what athletes right now in the sport have sort of inspired you the most? Oh boy. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like there's so many, I mean, like beyond my husband, right? Um, (laughs) I have to say that one. Um, I don't know. I mean, I was really, I was really intrigued watching the UTMB this year. Um, I think like a lot of people, like you wanted to root for Jim to finally, finally have his day, but then, you know, racing against Killian and then like uh, Matthew Blanchard, who came in second, like he came at Vermont hundred. Um, he ran Vermont hundred. That was his first ever hundred miler that he talks about like, Oh yeah, I ran one, but it was really an easy hundred. That was us um, back in the day. Uh, he finished second behind my husband, which my husband likes to remind me. Um, so, um, you know, so I feel like I kind of wanted to cheer for him as well. So, you know, that was, I don't know. I think it's really fun to watch races like that. Um, and just kind of get inspired by all of the people out there, you know, um, and similarly on the, you know, on the women's side, like Katie Scheid, I, I wish she raced more in the U S because, you know, it would be interesting to see what she did here, but obviously she, she crushed it. So. I don't know. I feel like I'm just someone who gets like so inspired by everyone, every single race that I see, because there's just, there's so many amazing people out there and there's so many amazing stories and, and people to get behind and root for. Mm-hmm. The best story I thought out of UTMB was that Marianne who got second and, and Matthew who got second, they're like training partners and friends, which is so cool. And they got sponsored by Solomon together. They did this race, like trans like uh, pairs race together. So I'm just like, I love a good like friendship story. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's a lot of fun. All right. Well, I won't take up too much more of your time, but I do have one last game for us to play to like end this show on a high note. Oh boy. It's called (laughs) ideal aid station. Oh boy. All right. So you're coming up to an aid station and it's like, you know, mile 70 of a hundred and you really just need this aid station to give you some pep. So what sweet snack is waiting there for you? Um, so my favorite sweet is uh, Swedish fish. 
All right. I got that in my last funny. interview. Somebody said that. He also, what else did he call it? Scandinavian swimmers. He said, whatever oh. you want to say, Swedish fish or Scandinavian swimmers. And I was like, I'll, you know, I'll probably think about that for a long time, longer than I should. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> what salty snack? What salty snack? Oh boy. Um, I don't know. I feel like just like a potato dipped in salt, like I'm pretty simple with that. Mm -hmm. Right. Or yeah. a grilled cheese sandwich, if you want to call that salty. Oh um, yeah, it is. Those are so good. And a then grilled cheese sandwich or a fried pierogi, if we're like going down that route, mm, that's, yeah, that's we're on the, the East best. coast. Like, fried pierogi, definitely. And the good thing about uh, grilled cheese is like, even if they give it to you cold, put it in your pocket for like 10 minutes and then it's grilled again. There you go. Yeah. Delicious. No, those the um the grilled cheese sandwiches that's what got me through western states like i had this like horrible puke fest of a day um but finally felt better after about mile 70 and um yeah and then just uh, that's all i ate for the whole last 30 miles and i actually ran a really strong 30 miles so thank you to the uh grilled cheeses out there <laughs> i have so many like things that i'm writing down about this this is great um all right it's a cold like you're in a cold race so what hot food um, so potato leek soup is like my, my special sauce for like something that's like warm and salty and amazing. Um, and I fell in love with that at, um, at Hope Pass and they had, they had that at Hope Pass when I was doing Leadville and I was in rough shape and somehow my crew made that, or my pacer at the time made that appear in my hands. And ever since that's, is it anytime I can get broth? that, that's amazing. Is it creamy? Yeah, broth. it's like cream. I mean, it's I I make it at times, and it's just like potatoes and leeks and onions and broth, and you just stick blend the whole thing. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. So I've had like I make it with cream. I think you can, but yeah, I've had like the creamy one. I was wondering, I was like, yeah. oh, interesting. No, it was so good. And then like at later aid stations, they were like, this is all that's keeping Amy going at Leadville. So they're like, you got to have potato leek soup. And at some point, I guess one volunteer took like. They had like mashed potatoes that they had made from like a box or whatever. So they, they took mashed potatoes and they just like poured broth in it and kind of stirred it up and gave it to me. But the broth still had like little noodles in it. So I was like, it was, it was really confusing for a little bit, but uh, it kind of worked. <laughs> I mean, sounds delicious. I'd go for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, what sports drink? I don't drink sports drinks, really. Um, I would drink Coca-Cola. Okay, okay. Um, the next question is non-sports drink, so we can go for Coca-Cola there. Well, yeah, I mean, we can call Coca-Cola the sports drink, because then the non-sports drink is, I'm kind of known for, um, I'll go for a beer. Um, anytime after, like, halfway through the race, I will go for a beer, and that will always turn my race around, so. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. I see that. Piece yeah. of gear. Um, I don't know, like a pacer. <laughs> I mean, for me, a training buddy is probably the most important piece of gear because you, you give me someone to talk to and it puts me in a good mood and that, that always, that always makes things better. So yeah, at Western, I had these envisions of me and Riley, like frolicking fast through after Forest Hill. That was not what <laughs> They yeah. were like, they were great, but I just was like, that was like the slow decline of Ellie's race. And I was just like, oh, I'm so no. sorry, Riley. I envisioned us just flying down this. And like, it was, but she, they were like, you're doing fine. I was like, but I'm not even talking. Oh man. Yeah. You need someone who will actually like keep up the end of the conversation if need be. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah. 
I had Brian, the one time Brian has paced me only once ever. And it was at Western States. And like the backstory is I was climbing up Devil's Thumb and like, I, I'm like, I have no, a notoriously bad stomach. So like puking is just part of my hundred. So I like puked so bad at Devil's Thumb that I was like collapsing on the side of the trail and medical people started coming down. So I was like, no, 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 they're not pulling me. They're not pulling me. And I like stumble into the aid station and whatever. Long story short. So I'm puking all the way through like mile 70. So I pick him up at 62 and I'm like just walking because it just it's puking and it's walking and that's all I can do. And he's like all nice in front of everyone else. And then the minute we get on the trail, he's like, Amy, I didn't come here to walk 40 fucking miles with you. <laughs> I just was like, fuck you. I was like, I threw my hat down. It was just like, we're getting divorced. That's it. I hate you. Like, and I hated him. I legit hated him for like several miles. And then once I like puked and was able to reset my stomach, then like we were laughing about it the whole rest of the race. And like, it was fantastic. But um, yeah, he needs to work a little bit on his like pep talk because that was not what I needed in that moment at all. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, Ian should work on his too. I get to the river and I'm like that way. I'm like in the chair and like, I can, I'm finally able to eat something. He just comes over and he's like, let's go. You can compete here. And I was like, I'm going to throw up now, Ian. Right. Uh, it was just. Oh, so God. funny, but uh, good times that were had. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last question. Celebrity to meet you at the aid station. They can't be anyone you like know or are related to, and they don't need to be alive. Just somebody that like would, if you saw them at the aid station, they would pep you right up. Oh, gosh. Huh. And not someone I know. So, I mean, like, cause it's like, obviously my husband would be great. Um, and like Dave Horton would be another one. Like he always knows the right thing and the absolute wrong thing that is actually the right thing to say. Um, but I know him. So he knows what the wrong thing is. So I can't say him either. Um, I don't know. You could pick someone fun, like Harry Potter or like, I don't know, like uh, Mickey Mouse. Like you can pick anything. Oh, maybe like Shalane Flanagan. Like I okay. feel like she has done everything and had all every single experience and would know something to say to to inspire. And, and I'd probably just be on a cloud that I got to meet her and that she talked to me and that would last for several miles too. And I mean, if she's making your potato leek soup, you know, it's going to be good. Oh my God. Exactly. I'm sure she's got a recipe for it somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Amy, for coming on the show. Um, I know you don't do social media, which is very commendable and uh, you don't need it because everybody knows who you are. So I'll put all the links to like Vermont Adaptive and everything in the show notes. But um, thank you so much for coming on. This was great. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And hopefully, hopefully we get to share some miles for real at some point because I yes, you could pace me for Vermont. I would love that. Okay. And I don't, I'm, I mean, and I'll still fall, but I'm not adaptive. There you go. Exactly. If you fall, it's your fault. So yeah, I don't true. But that. you still have to sign my bloody knee. Perfect. <laughs> have a good afternoon. Eve. All right. Thanks you as well. Isn't Amy just incredible? I definitely want to be her when I grow up.
but I don't think that there's enough time in my life to ever aspire to all the things that she has done. So I'm just going to enjoy that she's done them and go run her races eventually. <laughs> uh, you can find all the links in uh, for everything we mentioned in the show notes. And uh, say hi to Amy. Go volunteer at her races. And um, keep raising up female race directors on the East Coast. Um, you can find me at Gazelli on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find the Trails Collective on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I see beautiful leaves outside, guys. So I hope you're enjoying this wonderful fall running. And I'll see you out there. <laughs>